Welcome to the TEH, the Tech Enthusiast Hour podcast, where several hosts talk about what they find interesting in tech this week. The show notes for this episode are at tehpodcast.com slash teh66. This week, we have all four regular hosts. I'm Randy Cassingham, founder of thisistrue.com, the oldest entertainment feature on the internet, and the meme site randysrandom.com. Who's next? Guy, I'll be me. That'll be next. I'm Kevin Savitz. I am creator of freeprintable.net, which offers free printable documents and templates and uses a lot of domain names, which I'll talk about shortly, and uh, faxzero.com, which lets you send faxes like it was 1980. <laughs> I'm Leo Notenboom, chief question answerer out at askleo.com. I'm also the publisher of a couple of non-techie sites, notallnewsisbad.com, a daily antidote for everything else that's going on, and heroicstories.org, twice-weekly stories of people just being good people. And I'm Gary Rosenzweig, the guy you'll see a lot of if you went to macmost.com, where I help you get the most from your Mac. And I do WordPress stuff, and I make uh, mobile apps, too, mostly games. So what have we been up to this week? Randy got older. Yeah, well, <clears throat> haven't we all? Um, no, just I did something fun for my birthday. I, was, I actually logged into Facebook last month to... Um, to wish somebody else a happy birthday and Facebook said, Hey, your birthday's coming up. Would you want to do a fundraiser? I was like, not really. I said, there's no fees. I said, well, in that case. So I uh, did a fundraiser for the Uray mountain rescue team, which is uh, our team here in beautiful Uray County, Colorado. And I actually get to work with those guys sometimes, which is really cool. And I thought, Hey, you know, I can tell us, a quick story about why I picked them. And sure enough, about five minutes later, I got a, a text message from one of you people that said, you set your goal too low. Well, you did. Well, I t- <laughs> with Facebook suggested, you know, which was $200. And uh, so I logged back into Facebook and it was already more than halfway to that goal. So I quickly changed it to the getoutofhillfree.com approved number of $666. And uh, that was beaten by the end of the day. So uh, I kicked it up to $1,666. And it broke a 1000 bucks by the time it ended last week, which I think is pretty darn cool. Yeah, it is. It is. Facebook fundraisers are <clears throat> are interesting. Um, yeah, I have mixed feelings. I do too. Um, yeah, yeah. But in a case like this, uh, you know, presumably an organization that you specifically care about and other people in the area care about are getting some uh, getting some funds out of it. I mean, that's that's a good thing. Yeah, that, that is neat, and it surprised me that Facebook isn't taking any fees out of it. Uh, apparently, it's really, hell, yeah. not even credit card fees. I don't know that for sure, but, um, you know, I think it kind of shows that if you come up with something compelling rather than, hey, why don't you send money to this group, um, people actually respond to it. No, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I did. I've done fundraisers on Facebook, coincidentally, around my birthday in September for a couple of the organizations that I care about. And it's always kind of fun. I mean, they always, you know, get get a few more bucks out of out of the out of the deal. 
And same on the other side, right? If, if somebody is, um, somebody I know has one of these going on, especially if it's a, uh, some kind of a group or something that I have any kind of an affinity with, then, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll kick in a few bucks. It's kind of cool. Yep. My, my assumption, and I'm looking at the fact now, and I, I was wrong. My assumption was that Facebook took some small cut, at least for credit card fees, plus you know a little, little extra for for them because they're Facebook. They claim they don't. Um, yeah, I, I for a while I was if for a while before I started just really disliking Facebook. My policy was if I saw someone ask for a donation to a charity on Facebook fundraiser, I would do it, you know, 50 bucks or whatever. And, uh, and now I just like, don't, I hardly log into Facebook, so I don't see them. And if I did, I would have been no, cause I don't want Facebook to get any of my money. But it honestly, it looks like they don't take any fees for that. A PayPal also does it as well. They have a, a similar thing where you can make contributions to many organizations and it goes through an, a group called like PayPal charities or something. And then they redistribute the funds. And I'm sure they take a cut because they're PayPal. But then again, I was also sure that Facebook took a cut. So right. It would be interesting, Randy, if you've got a contact at that organization. I know I have a contact at my organization. It would be interesting to see if, if the number they get matches the number that you saw. Well, amusingly enough, a number of my friends in real life and on Facebook are members of that team. I do a little bit of volunteer work for them, but I'm, I'm not considered a member. Right. Um, saw the fundraiser because they're friends of mine on Facebook. It's like, Oh wow. Look what you're doing. Oh, look at that number. Oh wow. So <laughs> yes, I will be able to get some inside information when, if, and when they get a check and I'm, I'm being facetious about the, the, if I'm sure they will. Right. The when is actually a serious thing. The, the thing yeah. that I do recall, I've had this conversation with my, you know, the, the equivalent counterparts at the organization that I support and, um, they did indicate that there can be a lag, uh, sometimes a significant lag for the money actually showing up, but it does show up. Yeah, so I'll be very interested in when it shows up and how much. And, and one thing that was kind of interesting, one of the early people said, hey, I'm sorry, it's only $10. It's like, no, no, you, you gave something. That's more than almost everybody else. Mm-hmm. But he said, I'm doing that every month. So we actually signed up for a recurring donation. Oh, cool. And I didn't even know you could do that on these things, but he apparently figured it out. I don't remember seeing that. That actually is pretty cool. Yeah. I, um, yeah, I was dismayed when I was, I think it was like the MS Bikeathon or something like that. Some friend that I usually give to every year. And uh, to see that this year uh, it was through Facebook. Um, and I thought that was weird. And I was looking all around for like, well, where's the old, like, can I just give directly to the, you know, to the organization that runs that like before? And it didn't look like there was a way for me to do that. Um, and I wish they would have included, if that, if that did exist, I wish they would have included a link. What I was concerned about was not Facebook taking money, but somehow using that information, you know, I've been really shy about being on Facebook, which is why I didn't even know you were doing this, Randy. Um, so yeah, it's like, well, I just don't want that to go into my profile. Like, right. I give money to charities. I these are the charities I support. This is probably these are the specific charities. Yeah, yeah. I mean, maybe good do point. They, they may they may sell that information. Who knows? They or, are Facebook. I yeah. mean, could 
could I advertise now as like if I wanted to advertise on Facebook, could I go and say, I'd like to show my ad to all the people that supported this charity? And um, yeah, I mean, yeah. I don't know. It's interesting though, because I can also see it from the, from the charity's point of view. Facebook is this huge audience and by directing everybody if they can or are willing to donate through Facebook, just because of the way Facebook works, they get so much more visibility uh, that, that, you know, it's a, it's a big win from the charity's point of view in the sense that they'll probably end up getting more money by funneling everybody through Facebook. Yes. And, and yet, and yet, sorry, Randy, they, but then the charity doesn't have direct contact with those people. So they can't create a, an ongoing relationship. Mm, good point. But the, the, the end that I was coming up with was if it's true that Facebook isn't even charging credit card fees, they're absorbing that, then the charity is actually getting more from every donation. Hmm. True. A lot of trade-offs here. Somebody needs, somebody at Wired or somewhere needs, needs to do a whole expose on exactly what's going on. Yeah. That'd be interesting. All right. Well, enough of that. Who's next? Uh, I'll be next. I have a couple of things. Um, I have had on my to-do list for a while to uh, do a domain name checkup, log into my registrar and, and uh, see what was coming up for renewal and renew things. Um, I, I'm a, and, or, or let things, let, let some things lapse. And as we've said before, I have about 500 domain names. Um, I'm using many of them. And uh, I was kind of logging in to kind of see, check the situation. I knew I had a lot of things to uh, uh, either renew or, or decide not to renew. And I, uh, I got out the, the, the acts more than I, I usually do. I'm not usually a, a believer in, in killing sites, but I've had some sites that have been underperforming for years. And I'm just like, you know what? They're up for renewal. It's not even worth the, the you know, $9 to uh, renew them. And so uh, I let about, going to be letting about 10 sites go. Um, uh, I had recently, related to, the, related to this, I had recently um, canceled one of my credit cards as they, uh, they irritated me one too many times. <laughs> so instead of having uh, two business credit cards, I have one business credit card now. And so with my registrar, I had to, my default credit card before was the one that now no longer exists. So I pointed them to, to my other card. And then when I went to renew many domain names for many years, it was uh, an expensive receipt. And uh, the new credit card, uh, denied the charge because they thought it was fraud. <laughs> yep. So, uh, yep. And so, you know, they saw this big charge coming their way and, and they were trying to protect me and they, they denied it. And so I had to you know, do the thing, which wasn't actually that hard, but I have to, to, uh, they sent me an email and I said, like, yep, I, this was, this was a legitimate charge. And then it, then it went through after a couple more tries. Well, I wish that had happened to me because I had the opposite happen. So, uh, <laughs> A non-legitimate charge went through, and it was a good thing I checked those emails that I get saying, you know, you know, this was just charged or whatever. And unfortunately, it was one of those cards that does not tell me instantly. Unlike another card I had, that's the second that charge goes through, I get a message. Yeah, I like that. This was a like one I get like forty-eight hours later, and I was like, no, I did not buy a thousand dollars worth of fire suppression equipment in California. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yep, <laughs> gonna take care of that right away. And, <laughs> and it's like, God, why didn't you guys catch that? It's so like, why would 
that even happened. So, um, but yeah, so. So did they end up canceling that card or? Well, yeah. Well, as soon as I, you make a report, you know, you do it online. As soon as I go and I say, there's something that's wrong here, it instantly cancels the card. Okay. Um, yeah. But it's not, you know, I have a credit card that's, you know, all about service and they're all over the place, FedExing you like an overnight, right. you right. know, and this is not one of those cards. This is a card <laughs> where I actually, I actually had to pay like, they were like, a new card will be to, to your house in seven to 10 days. I was like, hmm. And, you know, I'll pay the eight dollars for two to three days because, like you were saying, Kevin, I've got uh, online charges mm-hmm. that recur, and I'm like, well, seven to ten days, a few of those are going to hit, <laughs> yeah. and uh, it's probably just worth the hassle. Just send me the card quickly, and I can. What I wish they would do, uh, none of the companies do this that I'm aware of, mm-hmm. is for, especially for us. Yeah, ninety nine percent of the value of the credit card is not the physical card; it's the number, it's the it's the data. Right. Yep. Mm-hmm. And they don't have a secure way to give that to us instantly. I I think the last time I had to get a new Amex card, I did get um, that number. Last time I had to, I did not. Um, okay. and, and it has to be all numbers. It's not just the card number, but it's also the expiration sure. and the security code. Well, one of the things Amex does do is they do automatically update a lot of major places. Like, yeah. for instance, mm-hmm. Amazon was, you know, I did the thing, you know, a new card's coming and all that. And they said, oh, we'll update, you know, a few of these major players. And I actually got an email from Amazon almost immediately saying, your your card information has been updated. And I said, really? What's the number? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Can you tell me? (laughs) Yeah. And uh, and also Apple, for Apple Pay, was also instant. That Hmm. guy got a thing saying credit card information has been updated in Apple Pay. And so that all happened automatically without me doing anything. And there were a few others that really took, uh, it took me by surprise that, okay, I didn't have to do anything to update that card. So right. and it's cool because if I look under, you know, you look under listed cards in those accounts, when you actually enter it in, like you go to Amazon, say, add a new card, mm-hmm. you have, there's a card name. And right. so you can customize that. But other times it just throws like the last four digits in there. Well, it still has those old four digits saying, the card because the name of the card is still the same, but right. the information has actually been updated. So sometimes mm-hmm. I'm like, Oh, that's the old card number. Oh no, it's not. It's just the name they have for the card. It's the numbers. Correct. Interesting. So I, I, I hesitate to say, I've not experienced any of this. Every time I've had a, uh, a credit card, uh, you know, breach that I've had to do the thing where I wait for the card to come. And yes, when it's American Express, they FedEx it out to you. Um, If it's somebody else, it'll happen in the mail sometime when it's convenient to them, Uh, which is a delay. I mean, I just, that's, that's kind of annoying. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I'm, I'm looking forward to, to the extent that I can look forward to my next credit card compromise, looking forward to (laughs) perhaps a little bit more smoothly. (laughs) We can, we can speed that up for you if you like. <laughs> uh, thanks, but no thanks. Still something to talk about for next week's show. <laughs> yeah. It was kind of amusing when I was in Vegas. I bought something and you know the, the the guy takes my credit card information into the back and while he was gone I got a text from Brand X <laughs> Bank saying, um, there's this this attempt to charge this amount of money on this card. Is that legitimate? And <laughs> automated text message and I text back, yes. I said, okay, we'll just put it through again. And about three seconds later, the guy comes back and says, um, and I said, just put it through again. It'll work now. 
Yep. <laughs> he just, oh, okay. Just <laughs> went back in, sure enough, it went through. So you have, you got to believe that Las Vegas is one of the. I don't want to call it a flag, but it's like spam detection. It's one of those p- data points that just pushes it a little. Yeah, bit you get a couple of points just for being in Vegas. Yeah. Being yeah. In Vegas. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. 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 You you actually might be ordering some you know nice textiles from Nigeria or something, but we're just going to check. <laughs> just <laughs> just going to check. <clears throat> Um, yeah, so I got my domain names renewed and, and that was fun. I'm, I'm a big believer in, in renewing, uh, for, for sites that are important to me, renewing domain names for multiple years rather than going year to year. So that, anyway, that's my tip. I was pumped that, um, my registrar, uh, a few years ago added 10 years as the maximum uh, for registration. Hmm. And yes, there are domains that no matter what happens, I expect to own for at least that long. So I've, you know, take them out to Even the Even if you died tomorrow, you'd want them running yeah. out. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, for example, you know, my, my wife's email is always going to be on, on one sure. domain, no matter what. And, uh, you know, so that kind of stuff needs to last for a long time. I buy Leo, a casket.com. <laughs> and actually that brings up another question I have for you, Kevin, is that, um, so you're letting these domains, Laps. Yes. Without telling us what they are, so we might grab them. I'll tell yeah. you. you. You won't want them. There's, probably, there's probably that, not. right? Tell your friends. But even when you're after your friends have turned them down, is there a reason that you don't put them on the secondary market and maybe try and recoup a couple bucks? It, I don't think. I don't think they're the domains on their own are, are worth anything. Okay. They're not worth anything with the content there. So it, it it's just not worth my time. Okay. You know, if if it was a, if it was a great you know oneword.com or something, I'd be like, sure, you know, I'll, I'll I'll try to sell it. But you know, it's like all about shredders.com. It's like it was something I tried. It made a couple of bucks for a while. Now it's not worth it. You know, is is it worth anything to anybody else? Probably not. You know, because if somebody wanted to set up a site about shredders, they could get a hundred other variants for, for about, you know. about two months after the domain lapses, it'll have turned into a porn site. Yeah. Mm, yeah. And the person, the person who goes to, to all about shredders looking for porn has a very different sex life than I do. That's all I need. <laughs> <laughs> no, they, the, the whole idea is they go looking for information about shredders <laughs> and they end up at porn. Right. And then I guess they shrug and say, well, I'm here (laughs) while I'm here. (laughs) Right. That's the business model. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's, I just, I've emotionally given up on these sites and so they can, they can go. And if it turns into porn, good, good luck to them. Uh, It needs more porn. Yeah. That's what the internet is for. There's a song about that. Um, My other thing is, uh, I think I'm sure I talked at some point in the past about entering the uh, the 10-line basic programming contest. Yes. And uh, I I came in second place in two categories. Oh, cool. You're number two. I'm number two. I'm really consistently number two. So, (laughs) yeah, I I entered in two categories. I won second place in uh, both categories. And... uh, so, what were the categories? Uh, the the categories are based on the length of the the line, kind of the the, the logical uh, length of the basic line. So in the 120 character category, uh, I wrote a lunar lander game, um, and uh, that was the silver medalist. And then in the 256, the, the kind of the super long line category, uh, I wrote a, a, a new game that I, I made up called the Floody Bot. 
uh, and you're a little robot trying to rescue people from a flood. And uh, that was the second place winner there. I wrote a lunar lander program in basic once. I, I just found it on my hard drive. August 1985, posted on CompuServe. Wow. It's more than 10 minutes ago. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Graphics are, are, are all text. Uh, it was for the Model 100. You remember the Trash 80? Oh, sure, absolutely. And yeah. 36 lines, so not too bad. Hmm. You could have tightened that up a little bit if you wanted to, I bet. Well, yeah, but, you know, 1985. <laughs> right. I, I was, it's a kid. Yeah. Cool. So anyway, that was it. That was fun to uh, get that. And that's, uh, that's all my news. Cool. Well, in my corner of the world, uh, it's funny, your domain name renewal process reminded me that um, I did a little bit of research in my own domains and I have like 60 or 70. I'm not up at, at you know, the Savitz level of domain ownership. But uh, what I've been noticing is that I've been having the DNS served up by Amazon Web Services and that's actually costing me more money than I expected. So I'm in the process. Really? Of, yeah, I'm in the process of slowly migrating them um, either back to the registrar where it's included for free um, or to my host uh, where it's also included for free. I'm using the host for the important stuff like Ask Leo and, and so forth. Um, what, uh, what brought some of this around is that I've been doing what I started to call the web hosting shuffle with actually the same nonprofit I was talking about earlier. Uh, they, uh, you know, we inherited a site where that was custom written and the person who wrote it disappeared. So they were kind of stuck and we ended up moving it to WordPress and at the same time, then moving it to a very common host that shall remain nameless. The problem with said host is that they didn't support uh, a particular technology that as it turns out, we relied on. I was actually very surprised to find that out. Um, you guys will recognize it. It's Mailman, the mailing list software. Of course. That host, that host while they support the, uh, uh, you know, the infrastructure, the cPanel infrastructure that, that you use to manage the site, they had made the decision specifically to not include that technology. So fine, we rely on it. We need it. Oh, crap, what are we going to do? Let's go to another host. So we went to a different host who also shall remain nameless. They, of course, I investigated beforehand, uh, supported Mailman. And we moved over there. Everything's fine and wonderful. We started sending out mail. And some of the mail would bounce. And it was bouncing because the IP address was blacklisted. Mm -hmm. Shared host, right? Uh, come to find out, of course, we're on a server with 700 other websites. But uh, the mailing infrastructure that they were using actually wasn't uh, actually coming from the server. It was uh, coming through a different shared infrastructure that they have. And sure enough, you know, when you're sharing infrastructure like that, if there are some bad actors in amongst those other websites, you inherit their reputation. So to make a very long story short, uh, we moved to Liquid Web and we're actually doing the same thing on a smaller scale that um, most of you guys actually are doing as well as I am. They now have their own virtual server with their own IP address and their own, um, you know, basically their own everything, which, you know, 
to me and to you guys is just wonderful because you've got access to all the underlying infrastructure. You can take a look at the logs that a shared host won't let you see. Um, you know, you own your own reputation for an IP address and so forth. Um, it's just that, you know, this is like the fourth host in less than a year. It's just such a pain. We've gotten really good at moving hosts yeah. just because of so much practice. But uh, cPanel makes it pretty easy. Well, and so one of my fears, one of the things that I really think about a lot when I'm doing this kind of stuff is remember I said this whole scenario started when they had a website, it had been custom written, and the developer disappeared. I wanted that disappeared scenario to be taken care of. In other words, if something happened to me, I wanted them to be able to not be left in the lurch like they were before. It's one of the reasons we moved to WordPress, because if you want help with WordPress, you can go out and find help with WordPress. Um, same thing with shared, most shared hosting. If you want um, to you know, get uh, help with the cPanel interface, which is what most of these uh, shared hosts use. Yep, you can. there's uh, people out there who do that. The concern, of course, is that now we're adding yet another layer where they actually own the entire server and somebody needs to be able to jump in and do things with the server underneath it all. That's why I chose Liquid Web, because in the past, uh, we've all had experience with Liquid Web, and they just do good stuff, right? I mean, uh, we've, I've, I've commented to you guys before that it's not uncommon for them to fix a problem before I notice it, right? Which is just wonderfully proactive on their part. Anyway, to make, again, a very long story short, they offered as part of setting this up to do the migration, all of it for free. And they did. There was exactly one issue. Uh, I swear, we were basically moved in less than 24 hours after making the decision. Um, it was, you know, it basically the, the DNS propagation was probably going to take longer than the actual move. Very happy so far. But that, as you might imagine, is what took a lot of certainly time, but also, um, uh, you know, psychological energy over the last week. Because those are always nerve-wracking times when you're moving moving from one host to another, especially for an organization that you, uh, that relies on this technology. So I think the less, the takeaway lesson here is if you need to send email, never share an IP address with somebody you don't know. Yeah. That's a and big the one. other one that is actually left unsaid was um, when you get a new IP address from even a very reputable host, you got to check it on the black lists to see Wait. if it, happens to be on the blacklist from the previous owner or user of that IP address. Which, which is exactly what I did with uh, the new IP address we got uh, from, from Liquid Web. And, you know, obviously it was clean and everything so far seems to be working swimmingly. Uh, but, uh, but, yeah, that's something that you also need to kind of sort of pay attention to. But also the other thing I want to say is that, um, you know, yep, we're probably paying a couple bucks more out at Liquid Web. Uh, certainly... Uh, Host number two that shall remain nameless offered to upgrade me to from shared hosting to virtual, you know, a virtual server. Um, and I just decided, you know what, given the level of service that you guys have been providing me, I'd rather do it with a, with a known entity, somebody that I've, that I've got really good experience with. And yep, it's a couple bucks more, but man, was it worth it. I mean, it is just so worth it to go with a good company for something that's this important. Yeah, I should add, it, it's, it's, it sounds like an advertisement, but it's not. No, it's not. This is just yeah. real, real I long. know, I yeah. know, which is, yeah. So, yeah, I, use, I, them. I use them too, and their support's great, and yeah, they cost a little bit more, but, you know, sometimes that's really worth it. I, I, I suppose they cost more from a generic 
shared hosting thing that you can, you know, get for $99 a year for quote unquote, all you can eat. But compared to what I used to be at, what was the name of that company we had before? Rackspace. Uh, Rackspace. I mean, this is still like, Liquid Web is such a deal compared to what the racket Rackspace was running. And to be, to be clear, I wasn't comparing shared hosting to a virtual server. Sure. Um, at the other place, they offered a virtual server, and it was less expensive than the virtual server we have now. Yeah. But like I said, my experience with their customer support was so <sighs> mediocre at mm-hmm. best yeah. that it just, you know, and w- again, with Liquid Web, you, you talk to them and they just know the answers and, you know, they'll yeah. speak the language. Depending and my on recollection at Rackspace is we actually had a physical server. We weren't doing any virtual stuff. Right. But that's yeah, but that's, it was pricey. I think I was paying about 400 bucks a month and yeah. that's, that's a lot of money. Frankly, I think oh, having your own physical server is, is the old way to do things. I mean, physical yeah. servers go obsolete and, you know, or virtual servers kind of don't. I mean, it might take a reboot, but all of a sudden you've got, you know, a new system. So, right. or, or if the hardware underlying it, is, is starting to fail. You shut down the virtual server, you move it to a different box and you bring it back up again and it's like nothing had changed. Right? Yeah, IP addresses are the same and everything. The, the issue I'm having is the operating system, my server, my virtual server runs is going to end of life sometime in 2020, as I recall. So I'm going to have to move even though everything else is fine. The hardware is fine. Right. Right. But as you were mentioning earlier, um, cPanel, the, the interface software that, that we're using on these servers, makes that easy. I mean, moving yeah. a site is so much easier than it used to be. So, As long as cPanel knows everything you're, you're doing. Yeah, and as, especially if you're doing both sides. You know, the, if the source, you know, the, the original is cPanel and the other one, you know, the destination is cPanel, it just does everything correctly. In my case, it was, you know, obviously a custom kind of cPanel thing that shared hosting services use. But the, the, the migration team out at Liquid Web, they know that stuff. So they know what to look for. Yep, they needed my password to go log into the other host, but they were able to poke around and I'm sure they've got like a checklist of things that they just... Make well, and no matter who it is you're moving from, they've done it before. Uh, yes, yes, they do. Yes, they are. <laughs> so anyway, so yeah, that was that was like I said, a bunch of my psychic energy for the last last few few days. But interesting yeah. stuff. Yeah, Gary, what's up with you? Well, I mean, it, what you're talking about reminded me a little bit of. Uh, you know, I went to. I, I, there's these meetups here in Denver. I'm sure there's everywhere WordPress meetups, and uh, one of the WordPress meetups I enjoy going to is called the Happiness Hour. <laughs> and uh, and it's basically it's a weird meetup because there's really no meeting. Speaking it's porn Yeah, a bunch of people show up, and it's in a, a big room at the library. And most of the people that show up have WordPress sites and aren't tech oriented. They they have problems with the WordPress sites, and they are there for help. And a few of us are there to help. And it's basically just, you know, it always seems to, for some reason, to be the correct ratio of, you know, maybe five or six helpers and maybe 20 or so people that need help. And, you know, we go around the room and people have their, usually bring their laptops and then they're like, oh, I'm trying to change this on my WordPress site or update this or this isn't working. And uh, so I've been going to that for a while now and trying to help people out and learn what people want to learn. And the thing I keep hearing over and over and over again is people hire these developers to develop like a WordPress site for them or a theme or whatever. And at some point it goes bad. 
I mean, maybe it's just the sample, right? These are people that need help. So of course there must be a reason they need help, but it's just over and over again. Like I heard, I heard horror stories about, um, you know, the developer just disappearing, you know, so they, they build it all, then it's fine. It's running fine. And a year later they want some changes. Developer can't be found anymore or doesn't respond. Uh, I hear people bailing in the middle of a, you know, redesign. I helped this one woman who the person helping her, I guess, decided that she was going to hold her site for ransom and basically disabled the the theme and all of this stuff. And the site was down and she was there all desperate. And uh, uh, there was another, I think um, not liquid web, (laughs) but I think it was called SiteGround or something was the name of the host. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I bet that's, I've heard of them. I bet you they have daily backups of your site. And sure enough, they did. So got to, uh, uh, you know, uh, get her site all fixed up by reverting to a backup from 48 hours ago. And then logging out the developer. Exactly. And then instantly changing the (laughs) password, of course. Um, But it was like a huge win there. Um, And just, yeah, all sorts of just bizarre stories of different ways developers just disappear. But the Um, neat thing about it, though, is that in a case like this, you know, when you're on a platform like WordPress, mm -hmm. even even if you've got somebody customizing the heck out of a theme, you've got resources, right? You've got places to go. In your case, you've got meetups to go to. Um, Mm -hmm. You can also go to things like um, Odesk or Upwork or whatever it's called these days. I mean, there's various places. That's where a lot of these bad bad players are coming from. I understand. I understand. Also, you know, sometimes your salvation can be found there too. Sure. If you've got a truly custom site, that's just not the case, right? You need need basically a bare bones PHP programmer or something like that. And that's a whole different ballgame. Yeah, WordPress is, is an interesting beast because um, when there's something that's custom, where that thing is is a big mystery because there, there, there could be a setting, right, that you can go into WordPress and change that setting and you don't have to dig into anything. There could be a setting that is enabled by the theme. So, you know, the theme's appearance has a setting for this image or whatever it is. Or it could be in the theme or it could be in a plugin. And if so, what plugin? You know, there's so many different places like one little custom thing could be just trying to figure out where it is that, you know, that was another one of the problems I was working with was just trying to figure out where this one setting for this e-commerce thing was. And it was just changing the number in a pop-up box. And I was like, boy, just my mind's exploding with the number of places that (laughs) this could be depending upon how the developer approached it. And I knew how I would, like I would, I would make it something that you could, a setting you could change. And of course, no, it's not there. Okay, so is it, uh, you know, a plug, is there a plugin with some settings? No, it's not there, you know. And then eventually it came down to some sort of scripting language for this plugin that fortunately was, even though it was kind not proprietary, but it was like custom-made scripting language for this, how this plugin worked, I would, we were able to look at it and figure out, oh, here's here are these entries, make the change, and the change worked. So... It's funny because I've definitely, I don't know how you went about finding it, but I have definitely uh, gone to the root of my WordPress installation and done a recursive string search for something that might be near wherever that's right. Would be. And that wouldn't have worked in this case because this would have been a database entry. Oh, right. The little, like it was basically yeah. a setting, but the setting was like, here's the script that displays this form. Yeah, I've done the string search through a database dump, which is also not pretty, but no. but yes, that's the kind of thing that has to happen, yeah. Right. Yeah, so... Well, good on you for fixing anyway. it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 
So, cool. Well, what stories do we have to talk about? Well, well I'm sure that all of you looked at the SpaceX Heavy launch last week, yeah. which was awfully cool. Wow. Um, I had to roll my eyes about the G-Wiz headlines of, they're going to land all three boosters for the first time ever. It's like, they've only done one launch before and they didn't even try to land all three the first time. So yeah, it's the first time. No, they tried the first time, but they, they didn't succeed on that center one. Right. The well, they sort missed. of didn't this time either, unfortunately. I mean, it did land nicely, but Stuck something landing. that I have been wondering, why hasn't this happened again or previously? And that is when they land a booster on the drone ship, you've got something really tall and skinny out on, you know, an open ocean that's bobbing all around. There's nobody there to strap it down. Why doesn't it fall over? Well, this time it did. So unfortunately, it's really sad that they stuck the landing and then it fell over in heavy seas. But mm-hmm. all in all, it was awfully cool. Did they catch the video of that? Uh, I'm not sure if they got video on recording from the drone ship. The, um, the link actually blipped out right when it was supposed to land right i saw i, w- I was watching the landing and the the, the takeoffs are, are are fine they're amazing but i mean i i'm just wrapped with attention watching the the two booster rockets land side oh, yeah. by side perfectly right i mean it's just it's so amazing to watch um yeah. i and uh and then i was super excited to see the 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 boost the the, the main i don't know what's called the, the main big one the center uh, one the center one land and then it said like the video cut out and then all of a sudden it was just like a still image of it there and like the 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 very small point zero zero one percent of me which is like they fake the moon landing was just like that didn't <laughs> land they just, you know oh they the, the video conveniently cut out now you know um and, and then it was there so i was really hoping to you see it land, and then it, it, I guess it did, but then it just fell over. And that's I, I'm surprised. I assume that the reason it cut out was the connection, right? So, you know, they've got this. Yeah, they're way out to sea. Yeah, right at sea, and then suddenly this rocket is landing right next to the camera. Right. And how much and like, it cuts out? Yeah, how much EMF is it putting out, and just all sorts of noise? And, I yeah. wish they would have had it recording. As a matter of fact, I assume they did. I was like, oh, I'll, I'll check back in a couple hours or the next day, yeah. and they'll get the recording from that camera. But I haven't seen it, so hopefully they learn next time to actually have that record. I think that's how a lot of that footage from that Apollo 11 um, movie I saw, you know, uh, oh, that was that was out. I, I think a lot of that was film that was recovered, not mm-hmm. – I mean, because they didn't send all that video, right? It wasn't a stream we'd have now. If we landed on the moon now, there'd be like 500 consecutive you know, streams going In live. In 4K, and, yeah. Yeah, right. but, but – a lot, you know, there was just that one stream that everybody watched on TV, and then a lot of that camera stuff was film cameras that were being used. So I wish they would, you know, have had that camera recording, maybe super high def, cool, like uh, of that, and then said, okay, well, tomorrow we'll get that, we'll retrieve that when we retrieve the rocket, we'll retrieve the film too. Well, I've, film, I've, digital I've film. seen some really neat stuff, like when Apollo was 11 was landing, they had a film camera sticking out the the window at the bottom so that you can see where you're going. And that's where, you know, Armstrong was looking through and you didn't get any of that until long after they were back and the film was processed and none of that made television back in the day, but you can get it now. It's really neat. 
So one of the things I learned from this article about the, uh, uh, the rocket booster falling over after landing actually answers your question, Randy, about, and, and I had the same one. I mean, you've got this tall thing on a flat boat out in the middle of the ocean. What happens if the waves get too high? It doesn't always fall over. They have this thing called an octagrabber which, I mean, God bless them, but they do just know how to name things over there. <laughs> they sure do. Um, so the octagrabber supposedly latches onto the base of these boosters automatically. It's a robot, so because huh. you know exactly where it's going to land on the, on the platform. So the octagrabber goes out there and apparently latches onto these things and prevents this from happening, except that in the case of the Falcon Heavy Center core, it's actually configured a little bit differently. It's a slightly different design on the outside, so the octagrabber couldn't hold on to it. Oh. Mm. So the next time, supposedly, the next time, this is one of the things that they will be taking care of, is that the octagrabber is going to be updated so that it can actually hold on to the center core as well. Maybe they'll use two quadragrabbers. Awesome. <laughs> yep. I liked that the, the name of the drone uh, ship was called, Of Course I Still Love You. Yeah, yes. I know. That's a great name. Like I said, they, they do names right. Yes, yes they, they do. do. Yeah. All right, so what's next? Uh, right as we were preparing for the show and I'm struggling to to find something interesting in the news to talk about, I get an email from a uh, listener and friend of the show, Michael Mulhern, who hey, said- thanks, Michael. Hi, yeah. Michael. Hi, Michael. Uh, who said, uh, while reading the latest cryptogram newsletter, which is the uh, Schneider, Schneider on security uh, monthly newsletter, uh, this one struck me as an interesting med tech article to talk about on the show. Uh, researchers are able to add or remove the signs of cancer from CT scans. The results are good enough to uh, easily fool radiologists. So basically, uh, researchers have created malware that can get into uh, digital CT scan and MRI scanning machines and add uh, cancer uh, to the images or remove existing real cancer from the images uh, well enough to fool radiologists all the time. And even after the radiologists were told some of these have been monkeyed with, they still got it wrong uh, the vast majority of the time. That's kind of scary. Yes. Mm. Yeah. Although, the, to, to be fair, the concept of malware in your, your, you know, your radiology equipment, just that right there is enough to scare you, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. Who's what it could be doing. Right. But have it be so highly targeted as to be able to fool radiologists is, uh, is kind of freaky. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so, I mean, the article... Uh, which was in uh, the Washington Post, um, talks about ways that the problems could be mitigated. And basically it involves end-to-end uh, -end encryption and digital signature, digital signing the, the images, which many hospitals don't have those things uh, turned on. They, they don't know how to do it or it's as expensive. Their equipment is not updated to to have those features. But Theoretically, these things would be difficult or maybe impossible uh, with those features enabled, but uh, 
that's just a lot of this equipment isn't built with security in mind. Uh, you exactly, know, people, yeah. you're in a hospital. Who's going to, I mean, who's going right. to, who's going to get a virus in a hospital, right? <laughs> <laughs> but even if they do have the security stuff, they have to think about turning it on. And that's just not one of the things they think about. Right. Right. Sure. Well, they're going to have to start thinking about it. This sure. reminds me though of, um, I don't have a reference for it. It's been a several months since I've read it, but there have been reports, if I'm not mistaken, that um, um, computer-aided analysis of these kinds of x-rays are actually slightly more accurate at diagnosing things like uh, cancers than... I know where you got that. I'm sorry? I, I know where you got that. Where did I get that? My podcast. Was it yours? podcast <laughs> <laughs> on AI and medicine. I'll link okay. to it. Great. Yeah, definitely inc- throw the link in the notes for this show because it's, it's fascinating to me. And, and obviously being a tech enthusiast, it's one of those things where I just, this is the, there's so much potential here, right? There's so much potential, even if it's just uh, confirmation of existing diagnoses or as an aid for radiologists or as a way to speed up radiology um, analysis. It's just yeah, they're a lot faster too. Yeah. Yeah. There's so many different, so many different applications for this. It's kind of the same thing only in reverse, you know, rather than, you know, adding or subtracting from your, uh, from your, uh, uh, your x-rays, um, the computer's actually analyzing it for you. Mm-hmm. This whole thing reminded me a little bit of uh, Stuxnet, um, a few years mm. ago, which was the uh, uh, computer worm that was discovered in 2010. And its sole purpose was to target and cause damage to uh, Iran's nuclear program by like physically causing the spinny things and reactors to, to, to become damaged. Yeah, spin too fast or not spin. Whatever was the wrong thing. To right. Do. Yeah. And, and actually physically damage the equipment. I mean, I mean, but someone could do this. I mean, I don't know. You could, they could target it to make it look like everyone in this town, you know, had had a disease when they didn't. Or what if you target it so that it looked like you just wait for a certain person to get a CT scan and you could right. tell by their name or their social security number or something. And then you make it look like, you know, they have a problem or they don't, you know. Um, it, That's delightfully evil. Yeah. Yeah. Leave so, it <laughs> yeah, and what's interesting, if I'm not mistaken about Stuxnet, and maybe we'll see the same thing here, is that um, the Stuxnet malware actually was extremely widely distributed. Mm-hmm. You or I might have software on our computer if we were infected that was looking to see if we happened to be a nuclear reactor. Right. Um, and if we weren't, it wouldn't do anything. But if we were, well, then it would go and party. Mm-hmm. I wonder if the same thing will happen here where all of a sudden we're all running software that's checking to see if we have our, our x-ray machines attached. And uh, if we do, then uh, do something with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, thought it was super interesting and uh, it's probably not the last we're going to hear about stuff like this. Yeah. Yep. Good job, Michael. <laughs> yes. Great question. Suggestion. So speaking of security features, <laughs> so so Randy spotted this article at uh, Forbes that uh, is interesting, and it's about, um, as soon as I started reading, I knew what it was about. It was, it's about Apple's Find My iPhone feature. So that's the feature that, you know, everybody who has an iPhone should have on, 
and you have should have the equivalent feature where whatever phone you've got and you know if you lose your phone you know you can locate it uh, if somebody steals your phone you can try to locate it but there's also a locking feature so if somebody steals your phone you can then go and lock them out of the phone you could do a kill switch kill the phone um, and you can also, it'll also do things like it'll make sure that they can't get into the phone or like, you know, race it, uh, reuse it, anything like that. It's, it's locked down. It's a great security feature. It not only does it um, protect you when you've lost your phone, but it acts as a deterrent because really it's, it's, it's pretty pointless to steal an iPhone now because most people have this turned on and all you can really do with an iPhone is if you steal it is parts. So you can maybe sell it for a few bucks for somebody that's going to take it apart, you reuse the screen, you know, or something like that. Um, so it's great. It, it, I mean, I think the reason that iPhones and other phones aren't stolen all the time, uh, especially now that they're worth more than $1,000 new, uh, is that this feature is there, so there's not much of a market to resell them. However, <laughs> uh, this organization here in Colorado... Um, the Colorado Public Interest Research Group um, says that over the last three years, 66,000 iPhones have had to be destroyed mm. by a recycling center because of this feature. Because if you don't, if you you know give it up for recycling and you don't turn this off like you should, then there's not much they can do with the phone except take it apart for parts. So I, you know, it's it's weird because they say um, that the phones had to be destroyed. And I guess technically that's right, but they also say I think they just parts. they couldn't be used. Yeah, so there's still and, and then you know there's taken apart for parts, and there's also actually recycled, which is you know going through electronic recycling and reclaiming the the metals in it and such. Um, so all that's still possible. It's just that yeah, some organization that I don't know wants to take old iPhones and reuse them for something. Could they couldn't you know use it and six six. 66,000 is a pretty big number, but it is over three years, and it is, I don't know what area it covers. Obviously, it's a Colorado recycling center, but I'm sure they accept phones from well outside of Colorado, you know, coming through whatever channels. And, of course, I think it's generally bad advice to, to tell people, you know, to disable this key security feature. The correct advice, and they say this in the article here, is to, uh, of course, when you give up your phone, to disable this feature, which of course you should do. You should be erasing the phone, mm -hmm. disabling, finding my iPhone, going to like it's a brand new phone state to make sure your data is protected and then giving it up for recycling, uh, preferably directly to Apple. Um, and uh, and yeah, that, but it's, I mean, it's interesting to, to think that, yeah, they're, I don't know. I don't like the idea that they're suggesting that anybody should turn this feature off. They should be telling people to make sure you have it on and make sure that you disable it if you're going to give your phone up for recycling. And any place that accepts a phone for recycling maybe should uh, make it a requirement you know, that that's checked. If you're giving it up in person, mm -hmm. they should check for it. And if you're not giving it up in person, say you send it in, then it should be like, oh, you're getting this amount this amount of money for sending it in, but it's, that's going to be significantly reduced if you forget to do this step. So, what's the equivalent on an Android, guys, do, uh, for Find My iPhone for the lockout feature? Is that called anything, or is it just 
Uh, it's been a while since I've looked at it. I don't know if you've seen it lately, Randy. Um, the uh, Yeah, I've got it turned on, but I can't remember what it's called. Yeah, so I've actually... Probably something like Find My Android. <laughs> I have, I, there's two things on my phone. I've got the whatever Google provides by default, which, as you say, is you know locate your phone. I'm pretty sure they have a lockout, but I actually went an extra level. I have um, uh, software installed called Prey, P-R-E-Y. It's actually preyproject.com. And it applies to both mobile and laptops, which, you know, so I also have it installed on the laptop. And it's essentially that same kind of thing. It, it uses whatever it can to um, locate your device uh, if, if it's out of your, uh, you know, if, if you don't know where it is. But you also have the option of locking and remote wiping and that kind of stuff. So between the two, I know I'm covered. I just don't know which one does how much, uh, you know, how much is the default in Android. Google calls it Find My Device. Okay, makes sense. I typed in, look, searching for, for uh, what it's called. I just typed in Android Find Phone, yeah. and it showed me where my phone is. <laughs> right. Oh. <laughs> yes. Yeah. As the first result. Well, because you were logged in as you. So, yes. But the, uh, I, what I don't know is if they've got this ability to actually lock it down quite as tightly as, um, as Apple can. But you can lock it down. You can wipe it. Um, right. But can you lock it down to the point where it becomes effectively useless? And that I'm not sure. I'm not sure. That's a good question. It's also one of those things where, especially in the Android marketplace, so much of this varies depending on what provider you get it from. Because I know that yeah. the carriers will also do their own quote-unquote value add by adding utilities that, that help you manage and back up and, and secure and whatever. I know Verizon does. I'm sure Samsung has. And it's even another layer, right? There's, well, yeah. There's it's, it's, the, the it's the There's, carrier you know. and the device maker. I just found another piece of bloatware on my Samsung. I'm never going to get a Samsung again. It's just, they won't let you disable it. It's nothing I'm going to ever, ever, ever use. Right. And, you know, leave me alone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, yes, there's, there's definitely some legitimacy to the Android market being extremely convoluted, complex, and fractured as compared to the, uh, to the iPhone market. But it's getting better, I think, in general. Whatever. Yeah. So, Kevin, you're up again. Uh, late breaking news on the uh, GPS rollover. Which I think is hilarious. Yeah. Uh, Randy found this at uh, NewYorkDailyNews.com. It says, uh, Y2K like bug knocks out the city's wireless network system. Uh, basically, the GPS rollover hit the uh, New York. A New York City uh, a traffic light system uh, and knocked out remote monitoring of traffic lights at 13,000 intersections, wireless reading of water meters, and a handful of New York Police Department license plate readers. Where? Pardon me, over there. Uh, <laughs> according to uh, New York Times. Uh, so basically, it sounds like they did not operate. Uh, up Update the the firmware on their their systems, and it was it was using an old version of uh, the, the GPS uh, code. And uh, when the rollover happened, it did not roll over, and uh, timers were off, and things broke and stopped. Things working. broke. Mm-hmm. And the thing that got me about this is just another example of it was fixed. They just didn't update. Mm-hmm. Oh, really? I didn't. So yeah. I didn't read the article. So this is another another argument for keeping your software and your systems up to date, folks. Exactly, including firmware. Hmm. You know, like your router, you could, there's probably a function on it when you log into it, 
check for a software update. Mm-hmm. And it will. That too depends an awful lot on the router. It um, does, you know, the quality and, and how old it is. But, you know, I just about every time I log into my router, which is probably not often enough, it says, hey, there's an update. It's like, and it, in it. my case, Comcast remote manages it for me. So they just up, update right. it with something. The city pays roughly $37 million annually to defense co- contractor Northrop Grunman to maintain the $500 million system. Uh, apparently, maybe they should have gotten the, the plus plan or something and <laughs> paid $40 million. <laughs> Jeez, can you imagine paying that much for a contract to keep your systems working? And they, and they still I mean, don't. This is just, uh, yeah, okay. Come on, North Grunman. This is like so basic just you know kind of a basic level thing of keeping uh firmware updated just mm, kind of a yeah waste of money there good job new york (laughs) and north grum (laughs) yeah yeah northrop grumman that's it grumble 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 mutiny yeah Yeah. all right so is that a good place to wrap done here yeah look at that all right. Well, the show notes for this week are at tehpodcast.com slash teh66. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter at the TEH Podcast. And as you've heard, if you tweet to us a question or something, we'll see it and probably answer it for you. Tell a friend about TEH and thanks for listening. We'll see you again here next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.